Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? My assignment for this weekend comes from Matthew chapter number 27. By the way, y'all like my sweatshirt? Faith tribe. That's our new name, by the way. You all are part of the faith tribe. Okay, we're going to have these available at the bookstore in a few weeks in case you want to look cool like me. Matthew chapter number 27, beginning in verse 11. The scripture says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not a word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at the time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy and while he was sitting on the judgment seat his wife sent to him saying have nothing to do with this just man for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail Not at all, but rather that a tumult was rising. He took water and he washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Today in our series, um, Defying the Urge to Quit, I want to minister to you on do's and don'ts. The do's and don'ts of defying the urge to quit. How appropriate on Mother's Day weekend. Do's and don'ts. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your power and by your great grace? Would you minister by your Holy Spirit and your anointing to the hearts of every single person that is here, that is at each one of our locations? Right now we pray that the Holy Spirit be ushered in in a greater measure so that he can touch and speak to every heart who's listening. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of the moms. Big shout out to the three best moms that I know, my mother, my mother-in-law, and my wife. I love them all very, very, very much. I think that all of us are familiar with the do's and don'ts, right? We all heard them from mom growing up. Let me give you a few of the don'ts. And these will all sound familiar. Don't you dare eat that. That'll spoil your dinner. Don't talk to me that way. Don't leave the house. I don't know where this one came up with. With dirty underwear. I mean, how did that ever become popular? Like, do you really have to tell your kids not to leave the house with dirty underwear? Anyway, don't talk to strangers. Don't run with scissors. You'll poke your eye out. Don't sit that close to the TV. Don't make me pull this car over right now. Don't chew with your mouth open. You sound like a cow. Don't get mixed up with the wrong crowd. Don't you dare lie to me. And don't slouch. Stand up straight. Anybody ever hear those things from mom? And then there are, of course, the do's. And a lot of times when it comes to the do's with mom, the do's are just implied. Like, it's like, do it and do it now, right? And she don't even have to say do it, but she, she means that. Clean your room. 
Wipe that smile off your face before I do. Respect your elders. Comb your hair. Do your homework and do as I say and not as I do. We all grew up with the do's and the don'ts. And we're grateful for them because the older we get, the more we realize how mom was right. Isn't that funny? How when you were younger, mom was wrong. Mom didn't know what she was talking about. Mom wasn't, you know, cool. And mom wasn't with it. And she was still living in the olden times. But the older you get, the more you realize how mom was right. And so much so that they actually throughout history have written songs to celebrate mom's advice. Songs like, for instance, this one. Come on, you all know it. Come on, stand on your feet and sing it. No, I'm just playing. One of the greatest songs in all of history, right? Because mom is always right, or so they say. You know, when it comes to moms, moms are giving us do's and don'ts, not because they want to rain on our parade. Moms are not trying to kill our fun. The do's and don'ts of moms are a lot like the do's and don'ts of God. They spur us on to victory. They're not to restrict us, but rather they are to equip us. That's what God wants. And thank God for the do's and don'ts of God because they're for the exact same reason. They're to protect us, to keep us, to free us, to equip us, and to give us victory. Y'all remember the song we used to sing in the, in the day, I got the victory living inside of me. That's what God wants for each one of us. He wants that victory to be lived in our lives. And sometimes in order to achieve that victory, we've got to know what the do's and don'ts are. And so I want to minister to you on the do's and don'ts of how to crash through quitting points. There are certain things that if you do them, it'll help you. And if you don't do them, it'll help you. There are other things that if you do them, it'll hurt you. And if you don't do it, it'll hurt you. And so we want to know what are those do's and don'ts. And we can look at the life of Jesus as he crashed through all of the quitting points on his journey to the cross and ultimately to the resurrection. And we've looked at a bunch of them that have preceded this text. He has crashed through the quitting point of Gethsemane where he has sweat drops of blood. He has crashed through the quitting point of being betrayed by Jewish, Ju- Judas. And now he is crashing through the quitting point or just on the heels of crashing through the quitting point of being abused by the elders and chief priests. We looked at that last week. They framed him for a crime he didn't commit. They spit in his face one after another, not just one person or two people, but a hundred people were part of that council and they all took turns spitting his face. Then they beat him violently to the point where his visage was marred beyond recognition. Then they slapped him across the face to insult him. And then they played charades or mocked him and said, who slapped you? And they acted out the miracles that he did. And after going through all of those quitting points, defying the urge to quit, he is sent off to Pilate. And the reason why he is sent off to Pilate is because they want to crucify him. And they need Rome's permission in order to crucify Jesus. And so in order to get that, they had to send him to Pilate, who was the, one of the governors of Rome, specifically of Judea. And he ruled ruthlessly, and he was an expert in the Roman law. All matters that were legal came to Pilate, and Pilate was in charge of ruling over those things. He was a very ruthless man. He was known for issuing punishments that were way above the crime. He didn't care about people. He couldn't care less about killing people or crucifying people. But when it came to religious matters, he didn't want to have anything to do with them. 
And the reason why he didn't want to have anything to do with the religious matters is because as one of the governors of Rome, he was in charge of keeping the peace. And how many of you know people could get hyped up over religious issues, right? We're not supposed to get hyped up over religious issues, but there are two things that they say you should never talk about, right? Religion and politics. And I don't believe either one of them is necessarily true, but because people get hyped up about those things. And so when it came to religious matters, he knew that if he got involved in those things, he ran the risk of the Jews revolting and he would lose the peace in the area of Rome that he was over or that he was governor over. And if he lost the peace, he would lose his job. And so he was very, very concerned about this. So he would kick back religious matters to the council of the high priest. And that was who was ruled by Caiaphas. And we talked about him last week. He was a really crooked high priest. He kept power by passing it along to his family from one generation to the next, even though his office was over. And so he would pass it back to Caiaphas. But in this case, they needed his permission because they wanted to kill Jesus. And so here, as we look into the story from the actions of both Pilate and Jesus, we learn some of the do's and don'ts. And the first do, and perhaps the most important one that I can teach you is don't silence the voice of the Holy Spirit. When you are at the point where you feel the urge to quit, when life is putting pressure on you, do not silence the voice of the Holy Spirit. When it came to Pilate, he had no problem issuing a crucifixion order, but something seemed to be different when it came to issuing the crucifixion order about Jesus. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at the time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Why did Pilate want to release Barabbas? Or why did he bring up Barabbas? Well, the scripture tells us. Because he knew that they were trying to frame Jesus. They, he knew by careful examination of Jesus that he wasn't guilty of a crime that was deserving of crucifixion. And interestingly enough, this man who would normally not care about crucifying anybody is looking for a loophole and so he offers up Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a notorious criminal because he had led revolts to try to overthrow Rome. And so even though his actions were punishable by crucifixion and by putting him, putting, being thrown into prison, Pilate was thinking to himself, here we have one person that is guilty of the crime. Here we have another person that is being framed for the crime. And so if I pit them both up against one another, maybe they'll let Jesus go. Matter of fact, Pilate is so looking for a spot to release Jesus that Luke gospel in Luke 23 verse 40 says, Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them. In Pilate's mind, he needs to, for some reason, let Jesus go. And if you read through the text, and specifically in our text, his wife even speaks to him. And in Matthew 27 verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, 
While he was pondering what he should do with Jesus, his wife sent him saying, have nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. When you read the rest of the gospels, you find he gave Jesus three chances to defend himself because according to Roman law, if you could defend yourself and you were able to bring up enough evidence, you'd be left free. But if after three times you didn't, you are immediately proven to be guilty. So he gave him three chances to defend himself. He tells the Jews defiantly and emphatically, what crime did he commit? And then as we read just a minute ago, he's looking for a way to release him. Now, so much so that his wife is even talking to him. And we all know who are married that the voice of your wife is the second Holy Spirit. Can I get a good amen from every man that is listening right now, right? They're always telling us, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. But Pilate overrides every time he hears that voice, whether it's from his wife, whether it's by feeling something on the inside to let Jesus go, whether it's offering Barabbas instead of Jesus. And verse number 23 says, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing at all, but rather that a tumult was arising. He took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And herein we find the first don't when it comes to defying the urge to quit. Don't override the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, saints. God has given us the Holy Spirit to be our guide through life. His job is to lead us into all truth, to help us to make right decisions, to nudge us to walk according to the Word of God, to help us to navigate through difficult times and times where we wind, so we wind up going and arriving at the place that God wants us to. He is our tour guide, very literally, one of the Greek translations says, tour guide through life. In other words, he knows exactly how to get from point A to point B. He knows the roads to travel. He knows the roads not to travel. He knows how to get there fast, and he also knows how to avoid the dangers. Don't override the voice of the Holy Spirit. He will tell you what to do and how to defy the urge to quit. He will inspire you. He will instruct you. He will help you. He will comfort you. He will give you wisdom to walk and he will talk with you and guide you in every way of life. He's the one that is speaking to you in your inner man. He is the voice on the inside of you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He is your conscience speaking to you. He's either holding up a stop sign or a green light. He is the peace that you feel or the hesitation that you feel. And when you got born again, Jesus gave you the greatest gift that he could give you, the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, listen to what Jesus says about him. He says, I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, what's interesting about this word another is it literally means an exact duplicate. In other words, Jesus said, listen, if you loved me, you're going to love the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is me. They're one, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, an exact duplicate. And he will abide with you forever. He is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Tune in to what's going on on the inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, in John, Jesus goes on. He says this, I still have many things to say to you. But you can't bear them now. However, 
when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Do not override the voice of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is better than a GPS? He's better than a GPS because he never needs to be updated. He knows where all the traffic is ahead. He knows where the roads are or aren't, the roads that haven't even been put on the map yet. He knows those roads. And here's the other thing that's great about the Holy Spirit. If he needs to make a road, he puts a road even where it doesn't belong. He makes roads in the ocean and rivers in the desert. Do not defy the voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't override it. And listen. You'll have to override it to disobey the voice of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit keeps talking. Have you ever noticed that a little bit like our wives? Never shuts up, right? That's why I'm just playing. Come on. I know it's Mother's Day, but I, and he just keeps talking. Matter of fact, famous poem written by Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven about the Holy Spirit. That he will never, ever, ever stop talking to you. He is always communicating and always talking. And the reason why so many people are left in confusion that are Christians is because we only think that there are two people in the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son. How often do you hear people talk about their relationship with the Holy Spirit? But he's the one that is our leader and our guider into all truth. He is telling us when we have that urge to quit what to do and what not to do. He's saying, don't do this and do do this. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. If we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and we override the voice of the Holy Spirit, we will wind up regretting it. Guaranteed. I've shared this story before. If you've been coming here for 25 years, you've heard all my stories, some new ones maybe in the future. But anyway, I remember years ago, I'm trying to write my first book, wrote it, have it written. It's written for two years. I'm trying to get somebody to publish it. And I'm calling around, and I'm sending manuscripts, and I'm not hearing anything, and I'm not hearing anything, and I'm not hearing anything. And finally, I'm just getting discouraged. And finally, after my own effort, trying and trying and trying again, I get this guy, legitimate publisher. And he says, I've published Benny Hinn's books. Some of you may know who he is. And he says, I'll publish your book. There's one catch. You've got to buy back 10,000 copies. And I said, well, how much is that going to cost me? He says, $20,000. And so I thought about it. I said, well, I've tried for two years. I can't get it done on my own. I'm just going to step out in faith. And I'm going to buy the 10,000 copies, send in the 20,000 bucks. He sends me the contract. The contract is on my desk. And I'm about to sign it. And the voice of the Holy Spirit says, don't sign that contract. And so I pray a little bit more about it. And I start to sign it again because I'm reasoning. You know, how many of you know when we pray, oftentimes we're reasoning? We're thinking about it in our own mind instead of really listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so as I'm praying about it, I'm actually saying this to God. God, well, I tried for two years. And God, I gave you the opportunity to present me with a publisher for two years. And God, in those two years, I didn't get the publisher on the way. And God, this is the only opportunity that I have right now. And if I pass this opportunity up, I might have to wait another two years. And so I just overrode the voice of the Holy Spirit and I signed the contract. And then I sent the contract back in. And as soon as it was in the mail and I couldn't get the contract back, that very next Sunday, miraculously, this lady is driving by our church. And she comes in. She sits in the back and she looks like a new person. And she asked afterwards if she could meet the pastor. And so they brought her to me. And I said, what can I do for you? And she said, I am amazed. When was this church built? 
And I said, well, it was just built this year. She said, well, I thought so because I have a summer home up that way in Kent. And she said, I was driving by and suddenly I saw this huge church and I wondered, where did this thing come from? So I was intrigued and I came in. And she said, I happen to be a Nobel Peace Prize or, I'm sorry, Pulitzer Prize winning author for the New Yorker magazine. And she said, would you mind if I interviewed you and did a whole big article about the church? And I said, well, not at all. And so she did. And she ran a 14-page article on the church. It was the featured article in the New Yorker magazine. Now, if you don't know anything about the New Yorker magazine, it goes around the entire world, not just the United States. So it goes around the entire world. After the article appears, all of a sudden I start getting these random phone calls from people who are literary agents. And they're calling me and they're saying to me, hey, we would love to represent you to liter- to publishers so that you can write a book. And I said, well, I just signed a contract. And they said, well, that's no problem. We can get you out of that contract. And I said, okay, how's that? She said, leave that to us. And so anyway, she goes back and she gets me literary contracts from all of the world's major publishers. And I'm thinking, well, this is fantastic. They might pay me a few thousand dollars. Well, they don't pay me a few thousand dollars. They pay me over six figures in order to publish a book and write a book for them, a book I already had written, and I have to get out of the other contract. How do I have to get out of the other contract? I have to release the rights to the guy that I signed the contract with for the book that I just bought 10,000 copies at 20,000 bucks, and the Holy Spirit says to me, You dummy, I told you not to sign that contract. Don't override the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it costs you money. Sometimes it costs you time. Sometimes it delays your destiny. Sometimes it causes you to enter into wrong relationships. Sometimes it causes you to go into bad marriages. You cannot avoid or override the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. The pain of God's no is better than the pleasure of your yes. Oh, that was so good right there. The pain of God's no is better than the pleasure of your yes. Because when you step out of the will of God, you might enjoy pleasure for a moment, but the pain that you will have to pay later on will be much greater than just listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit out of the gate. And sometimes, can we be honest? It's not easy to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But God, you're going to publish my book. But stupid, I have a better plan for you. I don't know if God talks to you like that, but he talks to me like that. Maybe I can handle it because I'm from Brooklyn because I know some people like, oh, that's not the voice of God. He said stupid. God would never say stupid. He says stupid to me all the time, okay? (laughs) Don't override the voice of the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, when it comes to defying the urge to quit, don't compromise. Pilate washes his hands and hardens his heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, whenever you wash your hands of the voice of the Holy Spirit, you'll have clean hands but a clogged heart. Let me say it again. Whenever you wash your hands of the voice of the Holy Spirit, you'll have clean hands but a clogged heart. Because the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. And the more that we say no to the Holy Spirit, we build up an immunity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
We sear our conscience, and all of a sudden, we're not as tuned into that, and we need to have that all cleared out in order to begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when you clog your heart, sometimes it takes a serious operation to unclog your heart. It takes a serious situation for God to clear all of that out so that you can once again hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so Pilate washes his hands and he hardens his heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then he orders Jesus to be scourged and then crucified. Matthew 27, verse 26. Watch it. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, let me tell you a little bit about scourging. First of all, they stripped the victim completely naked. And then after they stripped the victim completely naked, they took the victim's hands and they secured them to a metal ring above their head and then tied them tightly so that the victim could not move away from the lashes that they were being whipped with. And then after they had secured the victim to this ring, the Roman soldiers would go to work. Now, what they whipped them with, a cat and nine tail, was about a wooden stick and it had two foot leather straps on it that were attached to bones and broken pieces of glass and metal and wire. And the mere threat of scourging would so get in people's mind that any type of res- uh, 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 a revolt against the Roman uh, authorities would automatically be squelched. But as they were going to work, it wasn't just one Roman soldier, but it was two, one on one side and one on the other side. And the victim was helpless to move. And each time they struck the victim with the lashes of that Roman cat and nine tail, literally chunks of flesh would come from the victim's body, so much so that their bowels would be exposed and oftentimes spilled on the ground. The victim would experience profuse blood loss and their blood pressure would drop tremendously and they would experience thirst and they would begin to faint and go into shock. And the Jews only allowed 39 stripes. And we hear this all the time that Jesus received 39 stripes save one. But this was a Roman scourging. It wasn't a Jewish scourging. And so we don't really know how many stripes Jesus received. But what we do know is that he received so many that his body was unrecognizable. Now I want to call call a timeout and just remind somebody of what Isaiah 53 says. It says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Now, people who have tried to sanitize or explain the gospel say, well, that's just spiritual healing. No, it isn't, my friends. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17 says that he went about healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. They brought all manner of sickness to him and he healed them all to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah that he himself took our infirmities and by his stripes we are healed. It tells us point blank in Matthew that this is referring to physical healing. And the word used in 1 Peter 2.24, which quotes this also, healing in the Greek specifically means physical healing. And I want to remind somebody today that might be sick or that has a sickness coming against you that he is your healer and he was scourged so that you could be well in your body. So they whip him. They scourge him. And then he's brought off to be crucified. 
Then the crown of thorns. Then the spikes in his hands and feet. Then he hung on a cross and was left to die. And while he hung there, experiencing the thirst of crucifixion, listen to what Matthew says. Matthew 27, verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, remember that. That is to say, the place of the skull. They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. According to Jewish custom, if a man was being crucified, they could request a narcotic, uh, something to anesthetize the pain. And so Jesus was offered this not because he necessarily requested it, but as soon as he tasted that it was a narcotic, he refused to drink it. And by the way, let me call another time out and tell somebody, stop with the narcotics. Pot is a narcotic. I know they're about to legalize it, but the Bible is clear about taking things and doing things that mess with your brain, and pot messes with your brain. And so I want you to see here, he refuses to take it. Why? Because no shortcuts, no compromise. He knows he has to taste the cup of God's wrath in full. And friends, this is the second don't when the urge to quit rises up on the inside of you. Don't compromise. Come on, when the pain gets turned up, so does the pressure to compromise. It's not that we set out to compromise, but oftentimes it's the pain that pushes us to compromise. Money gets a little bit low, and we compromise. Things are not good in our marriage, and we compromise. We get lonely. We want acceptance. We're tired of being rejected. We just want something to anesthetize the pain. The pain just won't go away. If I didn't have the pain, Pastor, then I wouldn't have been tempted to do this because the pain is so great. I understand, but Jesus understands more. But Jesus is crying out from the cross, don't do it. Just say no. Don't compromise because in the end you're giving up your crown. Listen to me, church. When the pain is high, the temptation to compromise will be also. But remember what we said a minute ago. God's no, the pain of God's no is better than the pleasure of your yes. Don't compromise. Say no, but it hurts. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. But pastor, I don't know what else to do. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the week, of the weak. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He gives liberally to all men and upbraideth not. Well, pastor, what should I do? This is unfair. Listen to last week's message. But if I don't, if I don't, dot, dot, dot. If you don't, God will step in. If you don't, He'll walk through the fire with you. If you, if you don't, in the end, he'll roll away the stone. If you don't, your thorn crown will be traded for a victor's crown. Don't compromise. Don't grow weary in well-doing for in due season. You will reap if you faint not. Don't faint. Your father's on your side. Don't faint. He prayed that your faith will not fail. And when you return, you'll strengthen your brother. Don't compromise. He does care and the cross is proof of it. Don't you dare quit. Don't compromise. Keep pushing. When the urge to quit is strong, don't cave. Don't do what you know you shouldn't do. It's a setup to take you further into the pain, not to dull the pain. How many of you know sometimes when we compromise, we think we're, we're easing the pain? But how many of you know it doesn't ever ease the pain? It just causes it to be multiplied in our life. And the last thing I want to share with you today, 
do, first do, do finish strong. There he is, suspended between heaven and hell. He suffered unspeakably. He was held there not by spikes that man could mold with their hands, but by the cords of love, which were stronger than any spikes that man could mold. Love for you and me. Love that he had for us, not while we were saints, but while we were yet sinners. Hanging there for our sin. Hanging there where we should have hung. Hanging there not because of his debt, but ours. Hanging there to pay the price of the pains of hell that were our portion. And while he was hanging there, what did he cry? John 19 verse 30. It is finished. Finished. The Greek word tetelestai. It means to bring to completion, to a conclusion, to complete, to accomplish, to fulfill, and to finish. It has four different meanings. First, the word tetelestai was the equivalent of what, the, what was spoken in the Hebrew by the high priest when he went into the Holy of Holies once a year and spilled the blood of the sacrificial lamb, the spotless pure lamb on the mercy seat. And when he did that, he would yell something in, in Hebrew that meant completed, finished, accomplished. And what did that do? That caused their sin to be atoned for for just one year. But Jesus, when he yelled Ketelestai on the cross, it is finished, was both the high priest and the sacrifice. And he shed his blood, not for just another year, but once and for all. I love the old song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is finished. By the way, His blood was spilt on Golgotha, the place of the skull. Have you ever wondered why was it named that? Well, early church fathers and historians, Origen being perhaps the most prominent, he wrote, and it was believed by all of the early Jews, that that was the spot where Adam was buried and that his skull remained to the day of Christ's crucifixion. This is what early Jewish belief was, and that when the earthquake opened up the earth, that the blood of Jesus fell right on the spot where the first Adam was buried. And I don't know if it's true or not, but it wouldn't surprise me if on the very spot that the first Adam who let sin into the world was buried, that that's where our Savior's blood dropped to reverse what the first Adam started because he is the second Adam and the completion of all things good. I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. It is finished. Second Tentalestai was used in business. It was a business term to signify the payment of death. Debt. When a debt had been paid in full, the parchment that the debt was written on would be stamped and recorded paid in full. It means that when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, every single sin, past, present, and future that you have ever committed or will ever commit has been paid in full. That means there is nothing, 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 nothing that you could ever do that could separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because on the cross he yelled, it is finished, paid in full. But then thirdly, Thirdly, Tetelestai meant that he had finished the work that he was sent 
by the Father to do. Do finish strong. In Bible culture, in Hebrew culture, when a slave was sent or a servant was sent out on a mission, when they came back to the master, they would say, I have done exactly what you asked me to do. I came here today to remind somebody who's on the verge of quitting, finish. Finish moving forward. Finish growing in God. Finish being transformed. Finish the work that God has given you life and breath to do. Don't let the urge to quit and the enemy elbow you out of the race before you finish. Finish for the lives of those who God has ordained for you to touch. Finish for your family. Finish for your self-dignity. Finish, but most of all, finish for your heavenly Father so that when you stand before Him on that glorious day, you can say, I finished the work. I did exactly what you sent me to do. And that God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I want you to know there's joy in finishing. That when you finish, you feel like something is right on the inside. I want to encourage you. If you have life and breath on the inside, God is not finished with you. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. That means he is a story writer and you may not like the chapter of the story that you are living on but God writes amazing stories he will finish what he started our God will finish what he started